0: of the
1: third
2: kind welcome to theories of the third kind my name is aaron and i am one of your hosts there's another host that is joining me today daniel Sun. hey guys Now, real quick, before we start today's episode, I just want to say that if you would like to support the show, then there's a few ways that you can do that. One of the ways is Patreon. Each week, we
0: release a Patreon-exclusive episode that only Patreon supporters can get access to. To sign up, it's only $5 a month, which is only 16 cents a day. Not only do you get an extra episode per week for that $5, but you also get access to our entire back catalog of
2: past Patreon episodes. In total, we have over 89 extra Patreon episodes, which is over 125 extra hours of listening pleasure. Now, to see this full list of Patreon episodes, go to our website, which is theoriesofthethirdkind.com, and click on our Patreon Episodes tab. There, you can see the entire list of Patreon-exclusive episodes that we have published.
0: Also, today we added another Patreon-exclusive episode which is over the McDonald's coffee spill, which is a story about a greedy corporation that covered things up, colluded with the media, politicians, and other corporations to run a smear campaign against a single person and convince the public of something that wasn't true. It is a dark, deep rabbit hole that is super interesting. So you get access to that episode as well as all of the others for just $5.
2: Now, if you can't afford a Patreon membership, but you want to help us out, then you can leave us a written review on iTunes Or you can leave us a rating on uh, Spotify, which, by the way, Spotify just started allowing podcasts to be rated. Even if you don't listen to us on Spotify, if you just download the app, it's free. Listen to one of our episodes for at least 30 seconds. Rate us from one to five stars, five stars being the best. And then after that, you can delete the uh, Spotify app and go listen to it back on your regular app. But it really helps us out. And I will send whoever rates us, I will send you a free sticker. And I know some of you are like, oh, I rated you the other day and you still haven't sent me a sticker. We're currently going through all of the messages and sending out stickers. They're all going out this week. You'll be getting them very soon. So don't you worry. If you want a sticker, just rate us, send us a screenshot of your rating and we will send it to you. And I do want to say we don't get money off of these ratings whatsoever. We don't get money off of it. All it does is the more ratings we get, the more noticeable we are on Spotify. If we have a lot more ratings than like NBC's podcast or like uh, some really famous podcast, we will show up in the search results higher than that other podcast. That's all it does. It just gives us more visibility when it comes to it. So we get to expand out and grow more and awaken people's third eye.
0: That's right. Scratch our back. We send you a sticker. Exactly. However, don't feel pressure to leave us one. If you don't want to, then that's fine. We just want you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, Bigfoots, Satchwatchers, Chupacabras, ghosts, Illuminati members, underground lizard people, whoever, whatever you are, to enjoy the show.
2: And that is the end of the announcements. So today's episode is over food scandals. Now, on the surface, this seems like a pretty boring topic to talk about. However, it has become one of my favorites when researching because the stories that we get into are absolutely insane. So how this episode will go today is that we'll talk about multiple different food scandals that have happened throughout history, and then go into our own personal stories with our happenings involving food scandals, and then we'll go on to our on-the-scene recording shoutouts, and then of course wrap it all up with some free talk. So with that being said, let's get into today's episode. Each year,
0: roughly 48 million people in the United States get food poisoning from when viruses, bacteria, parasites, or toxins get into the foods
2: we eat. Many of these occurrences are by accident and are rarely talked about. However, throughout history, there have been instances where this has been purposely done. Such as the
0: time when 11,000 elementary and high school students from over 500 different schools in Germany had their school lunches tainted with a deadly virus.
2: Or the time when a cult conducted the only ever bioterror attack on the United States by poisoning multiple salad bars and organ.
0: Today, we go back in history to talk about. Food Scandals.
2: Alright, so as we were going over today's Patreon episode for this week, uh, we started digging into scandals that McDonald's had been involved in, right? Because our Patreon episode involves McDonald's. And to be completely honest, we were kind of unsure what regular episode we were going to stick with the McDonald's episode. And as we were digging into like what McDonald's had been involved in, it kind of led us down a rabbit hole of other food scandals that were just as crazy, involving different companies throughout the years. And me and Dan thought to ourselves, hey, we should do an episode over this stuff. And that's what we decided to do. We looked through all of the scandals from the early 1900s to today's current date and picked out some of them to talk about, which they are pretty bizarre to say the least. So let's hop into it and talk about our first scandal. So Dan, do you want to tell us about that?
0: Of course. All right. So the first scandal that we are going to talk about is a bioterror attack that occurred in the 1980s in the United States by a cult. So to understand this entire story, you first need to know who Bhagwan Shri Ragnish is. So this Bhagwan guy was born in India in the 1930s. In his early life, he traveled throughout India as a public speaker and became known as a critic of mainstream political ideologies and mainstream religions. Also, he had some beef with Mahatma Gandhi.
2: Oh, yeah, he did have some beef with him. So at the same time that Bhagwan was dissing Gandhi and other mainstream religions, he was emphasizing the importance of free thought, meditation, mindfulness, love, courage creativity, and humor, in which he stated that those qualities were being suppressed by the current belief systems, not only in India, but around the world. Also, he started advocating for a more open attitude to human sexuality. This kind of caused even more controversy with him in India, and uh, he ended up becoming known as the, and I quote, sex guru.
0: So, in the late 1960s and early 70s, Bhagwan took his beliefs and ended up making his own religion. The name of this group was called the Ragnish Movement, which, of course, is the last name of Bhagwan.
2: All right. So, this Ragnish Movement grew rapidly. And in the early 1980s, Bhagwan and hundreds of his followers decided to move to the United States and purchase a 64,000-acre ranch in Oregon. And side note, how he was able to purchase that much land in a big ass ranch is that he had this person that was like his sidekick. It was a woman and she had a very rich husband and they are the one who kind of like fronted the money for him to purchase this. So just a little side note. Now this ranch was located in Wasco County, which is a rural area of approximately 21,000 people. And is an hour, east of Portland, Oregon.
0: So, Bogwan had this big ass ranch, right? And as soon as he got there, his immediate concern was building more houses on his land to accommodate his growing number of followers. Now, the issue with this is that the construction of these homes would require permits from county officials. These county officials were kinda iffy about granting the permits because they were upset that a cult just randomly showed up in their town and was wanting to expand. And this created an issue with Bagwan getting those building
2: permits. So, what did Bagwan and his cult do? Well, they kind of did something clever. So, there was this super small city located near them called Antelope that was located inside their county. Now, this city of Antelope only had a population of about 50 people, and they were about to hold local elections. So, a lot of the followers for Bagwan ended up actually running for positions in that local city election, and actually won a majority of its city council seats. And get this shit,
0: since the cult followers held the majority of the city council seats, they could vote in whatever the hell they wanted. And that is exactly what they did. They ended up renaming the city to Ragnesh. Not only that, but they raised property taxes to extract more money from the local residents. Probably the most bizarre thing that they did was that they renamed the local recycling center to, oh goodness, the Adolf Hitler Recycling Center.
2: And it only gets even more strange from here. Uh, because just a little side note, it is worth noting that during this time, all of the followers of this cult wore the color red. They also set up what they called a peace force that walked around carrying Uzis. Um, they also drove into town with jeeps that had 30 caliber machine guns mounted onto them so there you go just a little knowledge nugget all right continuing on
0: so throughout the next couple years from 1983 to 1984 the beef between the colt and the Wasco County commission continued the colt kept trying to get their building permits approved but the Wasco County kept denying them finally in the summer of 1984 the colt decided that the only way to obtain the building permits that they needed was to take over Wasco County in the upcoming election that November.
2: Now, there were a total of three county commissioners for this Wasco County. All the cult had to do was win at least two of those spots. However, it wasn't going to be that easy. The previous takeover in the city of Antelope was a walk in the park, due to the city only having 50 people in it. However, the county of Wasico, of course, was a lot larger. So the cult kind of got together and they started brainstorming to like come up with ideas of like how they could successfully do this. And they ended up coming up with a two part plan to win the elections.
0: So the first part of the plan was that they would try to suppress the turnout of regular voters. And how would they do this? Well, they came up with the idea of poisoning thousands of residents with salmonella, which would in turn make them unable to go vote. The second part of their plan was that they would round up thousands of homeless people from nearby cities, tell them that they had food and shelter, put them on buses, take them to the city, and have them vote. That was their plan. And they decided it was a great idea.
2: By the way, uh, just another little knowledge nugget the cult originally didn't want to poison the entire city with salmonella. Their first choice was that they wanted to crash a plane loaded with bombs into the county courthouse. (laughs) But they decided against that. And I don't know why I'm laughing. It's not funny. That would have been horrible. But uh, yeah, they decided against that. And then they said, well, let's go ahead and go through with poisoning thousands of residents with salmonella. And they initially wanted to Introduce this salmonella through the city waterline, but they decided against it and uh, they came up with a a different way to do it, which we're going to talk about right now. So, Dan, tell us about that.
0: So, in September of 1984, the cult started to initiate their plan. Two members of the group traveled to a nearby restaurant and, when nobody was looking, poured salmonella tainted liquid on items in the salad bar. In total, the group did this to a total of 10 restaurants as well as a handful of public areas. Within hours, local emergency rooms were flooded with sick patients. A total of 751 people had gotten salmonella poisoning.
2: Now, at the same time, part two of their plan began. So the cult drove buses to nearby cities, said that they were a part of a humanitarian program, and told the homeless people there that they had food, clothing, and shelter if they came to their compound. So they ended up eventually getting over 2,300 homeless people and driving them to their ranch, in which as soon as they stepped off the bus, they were told that they could stay as long as they wanted if they voted for the Renishi's county commissioner candidates in the upcoming election. And the homeless people were like, well, hell yeah, I'll do whatever you tell me to, you know? Yeah, free food and board. Not only that, but they also gave him alcohol, which we'll talk about right now. Oh, free alcohol. That's what I'm talking about. Eh, it's not It's not good. good alcohol.
0: Oh, never mind. That's not what I'm talking about. There were some documents that showed that while the homeless people were staying there at the ranch, the cult would wake them up at 5.30 a.m. every morning, blindfold them, and force them to listen to hours of religious chanting. Not only that, but they would also purchase them beer kegs and then spiked the kegs with tranquilizers.
2: Yeah, so they use that as kind of like a way to sedate them, which is horrible. And then waking them up early in the morning and then blindfolding them and then saying, hey, listen to us chant some religious chants.
0: Listen to this, but drink this beer.
2: So at this same time that this was going on, and the compound had over 2,300 homeless people in it, state officials ended up catching wind of this voter fraud scheme. And the Secretary of State, actually halted voter registration for that county and said, hey, if you want to vote, you have to come and see me and we have to talk and you have to be a resident I think for two months or something and then we'll allow you to vote. You can't just be bused in as a homeless person and be allowed to vote. It doesn't work that way. So at this point, it left the cult with only a few options and they ended up abandoning its attempt to take over the county government. And they withdrew its candidates and announced two days before the vote that they would uh, boycott the elections.
0: So, what about the salmonella poisoning? Well, it wasn't connected to the cult at this time. People just thought it was poor worker hygiene. That was until one year later when Bhagwan was deported to India and the government started investigating the cult. They went to the ranch and made some shocking discoveries the government discovered one of the largest illegal wiretapping operations ever found an assassination plot of the United States Attorney for the District of Oregon, Charles Turner.
2: Yeah, they were illegally wiretapping a ton of government officials, and they had an assassination plot for the United States Attorney of, for the District of Oregon.
0: What the hell?
2: <laughs> it gets worse. The government also found that the cult had a full-fledged operating bioterrorism lab right there on the ranch that contained salmonella cultures and literature on the manufacture and usage of explosive and military biowarfare. It was at this time that people were like, oh shit, the salmonella poisonings, this cult, and the two were connected. And... Things began to unravel for the cult. Various top members of the group ended up fleeing the United States. And only a few years later, in 1990, Bhagwan ended up passing away. Now, this Renishi movement still exists today. It's only in, like, small pockets around the world. And uh, they are noted as the cult that performed the first, largest, and worst Bioterrorism attack on the United States and that's our first food scandal, which food scandal you know they went to restaurants and you know put salmonella in all the food there at restaurants so you know I classify it as a food scandal I mean I would too because
0: it wasn't the food companies that did it, but it was still a food scandal where they poison the food to poison people. That's crazy though
2: oh yeah and uh these scandals just get even more crazier as we go on throughout our stories until the very end. So uh, this next one is not as long, but just as interesting. Yeah, to say the least. So Dan, do you want to tell us about this next one?
0: Sure. So our next scandal involves the company Unilever. Now, we talked about Unilever in a previous episode, but in case you forgot or didn't listen to that one, Unilever is a company that was founded in England in the 1890s and is one of the world's leading manufacturers of consumer goods with one of their brands, which is called Knorr. Now, Knorr makes a tomato
2: paste, and that is what this entire scandal is about. So back in 2007, in Rio Grande do Sul, Brazil, a woman named Cynthia Mayorly was preparing a dish of meatballs for her family that night. She opened up a can of Knorr tomato paste, that she purchased previously at a local grocery store and emptied out about 80% of its contents into her meatball dish. Cynthia then served the meatballs to her family, who ate them. Of course, the family enjoyed the meal and didn't notice anything off about the taste or anything.
0: After the family had finished eating, Cynthia took the leftover meatballs and placed them in a glass container. She then took the Knorr can of tomato paste and decided to pour the leftover paste into the glass container with the meatballs. Upon pouring out the rest of the paste, she noticed an odd plastic rolled up object. She picked it up, inspected it, and noticed that it was a rolled up condom.
2: Oh my God. So Cynthia immediately tried contacting the manufacturer, which of course was Unilever. However, they kind of like brushed her off and was like, "Man, eh, condoms, yeah, right. You crazy lady. So she was like, you know what? Uh, I'm going to take the packaging to a university to get it analyzed, and I'm going to file a lawsuit against Unilever for moral damages. And that is exactly what she did.
0: At the trial, Unilever argued that the condom could not have been inserted in the factory because the process is entirely automatic. The manufacturer also stated that Cynthia would not have suffered moral damage because she felt comfortable enough to give multiple press interviews about the case And that such behavior would be strange to say the least and incompatible with that of a person suffering from moral harm.
2: However, the judge rejected their claims and Cynthia was awarded 10,000 real, which is Brazil's currency. And I'm sorry if I pronounce that wrong, by the way. And that 10,000 real is equivalent to one thousand seven hundred and eighty dollars. So there you go. That is our second food scandal, which is pretty gross. But I would say that it is not the grossest, because it gets worse. Before we get into our next scandal, uh, let's take a quick 60-second break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back. So, Dan, do you want to start us off and tell us about our next scandal?
0: Now, our next scandal involves China and strawberries. So, China is the world's largest exporter of strawberries, And one of the countries that happens to purchase their strawberries is Germany. In early 2012, a large amount of strawberries were exported from China and were transported by ship to Hamburg, Germany, where after a month at sea, the 44 ton order of strawberries was delivered to Sodexo. Now, Sodexo was a company that made cafeteria foods that were shipped to schools all
2: over Germany. So, fast forward to October of 2012, over 11,000 elementary and high school students from over 500 different schools in Germany, all started experiencing abdominal influenza, with 32 of those children needing to be hospitalized. The cause of the outbreak was quickly traced to one common thing that they had all eaten, which were the frozen strawberries from China. Germany ended up confirming in a lab that the frozen strawberries did contain the norovirus and were the cause of the outbreak. And uh, believe it or not, this isn't our last scandal involving strawberries. Something similar happened a few years later in Australia. So Dan, do you want to tell us about that?
0: All right. So back in September of 2018, an individual went on Facebook and made a post warning anyone about purchasing a specific brand of strawberries in North Brisbane, Australia. The individual said that their friend had purchased these strawberries and is in the emergency room at a hospital due to one of the strawberries having a needle inside of it and then swallowing it. Now, a lot of people brush it off as kind of like a hoax. However, multiple reports started coming in of people actually finding sewing needles
2: inside of their strawberries there in Australia. Now, these reports ended up growing like wildfire, and authorities ended up investigating the matter and determined that, indeed, some strawberries did have sewing needles in them, but they did not know which strawberry brands exactly had them or who was putting them needles inside of the strawberries or why they were doing it. So the authorities recommended that people disposed of their strawberries or they could return them to the place that they purchased them, but if they didn't want to do either of that and they wanted to eat them, the authorities said, well, hey, uh, just cut them up before you eat them so you know that there's not a needle inside of them. Which, in that case, if I was hearing that that was going on, no way in hell I would be eating any strawberries. But that's just me personally.
0: Even if I didn't find a needle, I wouldn't be eating those strawberries now. Ooh, Can you imagine that, biting down on one? Oh, my God.
2: That's what I'm wondering. Like, the guy swallowed the needle already. Did he not chew it? I guess not. I guess he just went, loop. All right, so all these reports of people finding needles in their strawberries made people not want to eat them, and sales of strawberries plummeted.
0: Because of that, the Queensland Strawberry Growers Association stated that they had reason to suspect a disgruntled former packing employee was responsible for the contamination. A few days later, authorities announced a $100,000 reward for information leading to the arrest and conviction of anyone responsible for the sabotage. They also announced that they were giving a $1 million assistance package for the strawberry industry in the state to help them because their sales had taken a hit.
2: By November of that year, over 100 sewing needles had been found in multiple strawberries across the country. God damn, who's got that many sewing needles? My mom. Oh, my mom does too, 100%. My mom has an entire room dedicated to sewing. So, um, 50-year-old woman named Mai Utrin was arrested and charged with the crime. Trin had previously been a supervisor at the Berrylicious and Berry Obsession Farm in North Brisbane, and she said that she felt that she had been mistreated by multiple colleagues there and had spoken to co-workers about taking revenge on the company. So she decided to place sewing needles in strawberries in hopes to take down the strawberry market, which, I mean, she kind of did. Yeah. Nobody wanted to buy any strawberries.
0: No. And in July of 2021, all charges against Trin ended up getting dropped and she was released from prison. A judge stated that they would no longer proceed against her with the charges because it was unlikely she would be convicted
2: at trial. That's the most craziest part of this whole thing. They were like, look, you stuck sewing needles inside there. We don't give a shit. See you later. Which kind of it makes my conspiracy mind think, was she the one who actually did this? I don't think she was the one that
0: actually did that. I think they pinned it on her and they probably didn't have enough evidence. Like, even though she said that she did it to take a revenge, they were probably going through the evidence and they probably didn't find anything
2: against her. I mean, they could have tried to just, you know, pin it on her like you said. I guess we'll save that to the end and discuss that.
0: Do we know what ethnicity Mahut Tran is?
2: I would guess Vietnamese. Oh, you would guess Vietnamese? Well, hey, man, it's Mahut Tran or whatever. Isn't that Vietnamese? I don't know. I have no idea. Ask your mom. It does sound like
0: some Asian descent. That's why I'm asking, like, maybe she's speaking English and they can't understand her correctly.
2: Maybe. Miscommunication. For all of you that do not know, and if for some odd reason, it's your first time listening to us, Dan is Vietnamese. His mother is Vietnamese. His mother was originally born in Vietnam. And even though she's lived over here for a lot of her life, she still has the heavy Vietnamese accent. Oh, yeah. And if it's your first time talking with her, it's kind of, hard to understand her at times but i mean you eventually after you hear her talk a lot you eventually pick up and it's easy to understand her i, I could see where if it was somebody's first time talking to someone from vietnam that it, it would be kind of hard to decipher what they were saying right yeah i could see that
0: looking at a article about her she does look asian descent well i like that they said that she worked as a supervisor at the berry farm but she did not work to where they were picking strawberries or in the packing sheds. So she didn't really handle the strawberries, which is interesting.
2: She might have just went to stores and stuck sewing needles up in those strawberries at the stores.
0: That's just like the water bottle scare that we had a couple years ago. Did that happen only in my state?
2: Probably only in your state. We had people licking blueberry, uh, not blueberry, friggin' a bluebell ice cream down here in Texas.
0: Like ours, uh, they were going around and they were stabbing water bottles like, through the tops and supposedly trying to put something in it. So a lot of the water packages were taken away because of that.
2: That reminds me of, like, the people who post on Facebook around Halloween time, check your kid's candy for drugs. They could be putting drugs inside there, and I'm thinking, drugs are expensive. People aren't just going to buy drugs to put them in your kid's candy, you know? At least I wouldn't, but I don't, I don't buy drugs. Anyways, all right, uh, so our next scandal in my opinion, is one of the craziest and saddest. However, before we get into that, let's take our last 60-second break. It's our last one. Don't go anywhere. Come right back. And, hey, don't skip this ad either. Listen to it. It's a good one. Trust me. It's a good one. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back. So, Dan, you want to start us off and tell us about our next scandal?
0: Of course. Also, Aaron, I
2: sent you a picture of the woman. Yeah, that that woman 100% is Vietnamese. They're Vietnamese. <laughs> that's one hundred percent Vietnamese. Ain't no doubt in my mind. Honestly, she kind
0: of does remind me of my mom. Some okay. Maybe maybe they're related.
2: Oh shit. We'll post that picture uh, up on our website. You can go to theoriesofthethirdkind.com. Click on references. Scroll all the way down to episode. Was it like one nineteen? Food scandals. And right there will be the picture of her. And you can let us know. Send us an email at Aaron at theoriesofthethirdkind.com. That's A A R O N. Or you can send one to Dan at TheoriesOfTheThirdKind.com. That's D-A-N. And let us know if uh, you think she's Vietnamese or not. Yeah. All right. So our next
0: scandal involves the country India. Now, to understand what happened, you need to know a few things. In India, they have a school meal program that provides roughly 120 million children across the country with a free lunch. Another thing that you need to know is that Bihar in northern India is among the nation's poorest states. So this school meal program really helps out the children
2: there. All right, so now that you know that, let's get into what happened there in 2013. So on July 16th, 2013, at the Dharamsada Primary School, located there in Bihar, India, the school cook was preparing the free school lunches for the children there. Now, the school cook had noticed that the new cooking oil that they had gotten in was kind of like discolored, It smelled a little bit weird, and it had a accumulation of residual waste at the bottom of it. So the school cook went up to the principal and was like, hey, uh, this oil, it looks a little weird. The school principal said that I purchased the oil at a local grocery store earlier that day. It is safe to use. Use it. And the school cook was like, man,
0: okay. Damn. All right, Aaron, I have to ask. Did you look up my utrin at all? No. You're 100% right. She's Vietnamese. Oh, yeah. I just looked it (laughs)
2: off. Yeah, that last name is Vietnamese.
0: I'm not used to seeing that one. But I'm just like, Aaron knows when he sees a Vietnamese person. (laughs) All right. The school cook finished cooking the lunch, and a short time later, children between the ages of 4 and 12 years old were served their free school meal, which consisted of soya beans, rice, and potato curry. The children immediately began to complain to the principal that the meal tasted odd. However, she told the children that nothing was wrong with the food. Just eat it.
2: So 30 minutes later, the children started complaining of stomach pains and started vomiting profusely. The number of sick children not only overwhelmed the school, but also the local medical system. Some of the sick children were sent home, forcing their parents to seek help on their own.
0: A total of 48 students fell ill from the food with 27 of them dying shortly afterwards. Government officials started investigating to figure out the cause of the deaths and noticed that the surviving children were emitting toxic vapors, and because of this, they suspected that it was a case of poisoning. Officials then made a statement saying that it appeared to have been a case of poisoning, but were waiting on forensic reports to confirm.
2: The following day, numerous students refused to eat their free school meals, and a lot of the local people were pissed. And you know what? I don't blame them. I wouldn't eat any of the school meals after that either.
0: Dude, no, not after 27 kids just died.
2: Hell no. So the local people started blaming the government officials for the cause of the poisonings, and they started protesting. And how they did their protests? A little bit different. They took 19 of the 27 dead children and ended up burying them right there on the school grounds. It's kind of like a way to protest which is pretty, uh, pretty hardcore, yeah. if you ask me. So after that, uh, numerous individuals took to the streets to protest. They lit fires and burned effigies of the chief minister of the state, and uh, they threw stones at the police station. They carried around sticks and poles and blocked roads and rail lines, and multiple arson attacks were also reported on police cars.
0: Shortly after that, Officials stated that the school lunches were contaminated with a very toxic level of monocrotophos, which was an agricultural pesticide. What occurred was that the cooking oil had been placed in a container that was formerly used to store insecticides. The school's principal had bought the cooking oil used in the school's food from a grocery store that was owned by her husband.
2: The school principal heard about this announcement, and guess what? She ended up fleeing, saying, oh shit, they're going to catch me, and thinking, you know, she could get away. A week later, her and her husband were both caught and charged with murder. In August of 2016, the school principal was sentenced to 17 years in prison for her role in the incident. The Bihar government also offered $3,400 in compensation to the families of the dead children. That's it. That's sad. That's the saddest story that we have, by the way.
0: Now, this one... It- It almost sounded like it was an accident until the principals decided to flee.
2: Yeah. So she went to her husband's grocery store who had the oil that he ended up getting the insecticide bottle and pouring the oil in the insecticide bottle and then giving it to his wife to say, hey, here you go. Go use this to cook the kids uh, school lunches with. It's messed up. Yeah. So let's go on to our next scandal.
0: Alright, so our next scandal occurred in 1993. So in early 1993, a pediatric doctor named Dr. Phil Tarr at Seattle's Children's Hospital started to notice that a lot of children were coming in with bloody diarrhea and hemolytic uremic syndrome, also known as HUS, H-U-S. Which, side note, if you don't know what HUS is, it's a rare but serious disease that affects the kidneys and blood clotting functions of infected people. So there you go,
2: the more you know. So this Dr. Tar noticed that an assload of kids were coming in with these rare symptoms, and that was something that he had never seen before, and all of these kids were coming down with these symptoms because of E. coli. So what did he decide to do? He decided to file a report with the Washington State Department of Health and said, hey, we've got a lot of kids coming inside here with this rare-ass shit going on, and uh, it's because of E. coli. You guys might want to look into it. So
0: the state started an investigation. And health inspectors ended up tracing this E. coli outbreak at Jack in the Box fast food restaurants. Specifically, their new Monster Burger, which was on a special promotion at the time and was using the slogan, So Good It's Scary, and sold at a discounted price. Because of this promotion, Jack in the Box had a huge demand for these Monster Burgers, and it overwhelmed the restaurants. This in turn made the cooks try and get the burgers out faster, and because the patties weren't cooked long enough, or at a high enough temperature, the E. coli bacteria wasn't killed
2: off. The following Monday, state officials went public with this announcement about the source of the E. coli outbreak. Jack in the Box, in turn, agreed to stop serving hamburgers and to actually quarantine the meat. At the end of this outbreak, a total of 732 people across four states from 73 different jack-in-the-box fast food restaurants contracted E. coli from their burgers. Four children died, and 187 others were left with permanent kidney and brain damage, and 21 of them required dialysis. And that is the 1993 jack-in-the-box E. coli outbreak, which I never want to eat at another fast food restaurant again because of this. And Jack in the Box has some pretty damn good tacos. Just saying. 99 cents for two monster tacos? Oh my God, you can't beat that. Well, I guess you could if they had E. coli on it. Which, ugh. And by the way, I'm sorry if you're eating and you're at lunch and you're listening to this episode and you're eating. I apologize. It's only going to get worse. So Dan, do you want to tell us about it?
0: Oh God, this one. Huh.
2: All right. So our
0: next scandal is actually multiple ones involving rats. Now. Have you, Aaron, heard any stories over the years about people finding rats in their soda?
2: Yes, and I actually have a story of my own, but I will save it for later. Oh. What about you?
0: I've heard of one story about someone finding a rat in their soda.
2: On the news or someone you know? Oh, on the news. Oh, okay. All right.
0: Yeah, so they are pretty common. People hear these stories and they just automatically assume that it's a hoax or something. Well, that is not true at all. This shit
2: has been happening for years. Oh, yeah. It has been. So one incident occurred in July of 1994. A can of Diet Pepsi was purchased by a 22-year-old woman named Maria Lazaro. She only drank about a third of this Diet Pepsi when suddenly she went to take another drink of it and felt some strange chunky matter inside of her mouth. I mean, you take a drink and you expect liquid and you get like some chunky matter. And She was like, ugh, tasted weird, it was nasty, it was chunky. So she spit the weird matter out and looked at it and couldn't really tell what it was. Shortly
0: after that, Maria started having abdominal pain, diarrhea, and vomiting. Her family took her to the Anaheim General Hospital and brought the can of Pepsi with them. The emergency room report stated that the family brought in a can of Pepsi, that the hospital staff removed the lid of the can with a can opener and found what appeared to be some sort of rodent in the bottom of the can. The hospital immediately notified the state health department and then sent the can to the FDA.
2: A few months later, on October 19, 1994, the FDA revealed that it had found, way back in July, a rotting rat in pieces inside of a Diet Pepsi can. The FDA also said uh, that it was an isolated case, that they don't know how the rat got inside of the can in the first place, and that the agency decided against issuing a warning to the public back then in July when it occurred because they wanted to make sure that it had enough evidence before making a public announcement.
0: So what did Pepsi do? Well, they denied it. They stated that this was a hoax and an attack against the company, which you would think that would be the end of Pepsi's rat
2: incidents. However, that was not the case. No, not at all. So get this. Back on November 10th of 2008, an individual named Ronald Ball was on his lunch break at his job, Marathon Oil, in Wood River, Illinois. Ronald decided to go, you know, grab a drink at a nearby vending machine, you know, kind of relax since he was on his work break. And at the vending machine, he was looking through all the sodas, and he said, you know what, I'm going to get me a can of Mountain Dew to drink. So, he got him a can of Mountain Dew, popped the top, and upon taking a swig of it, He noticed that the drink tasted absolutely horrible. He immediately spit it out and began vomiting.
0: Ronald then got a Styrofoam cup and poured the rest of the Mountain Dew into it, in which a dead mouse plopped out of the can and into the Styrofoam cup. After finding the mouse in his soda, Ronald called the number on the side of the Mountain Dew can and made a formal complaint. Pepsi ended up calling him back and asked him if he could send the mouse to the company as evidence of his claim so that they could look into it. Oh, yeah. They just wanted to get rid
2: of it. Yeah. So Ronald agreed and placed the mouse along with the rest of the Mountain Dew inside of a mason jar and actually shipped it to PepsiCo. Ronald then decided after that, hey, uh, maybe I should pursue, you know, civil actions against the company. And uh, he called Pepsi and was like, hey, can you send the mouse back to me? I want to get it sent off for independent testing. However, for months Pepsi denied sending him back the mouse, saying that they were busy, and kind of like dip-dived and dodged him.
0: Ronald ended up filing a lawsuit against Pepsi, seeking $50,000 in damages. In 2012, Pepsi ended up asking for the case to be dismissed based on expert testimony. And get this shit. So the testimony is from a veterinarian pathologist who stated that Ronald couldn't have found the mouse in a can of Mountain Dew because even if a mouse had been in the can, it would have dissolved into a, and I quote, jelly-like substance after 30 days and the can was sealed in august of 2008 and ronald had drank it in november of 2008 which was three months and the mouse would have been fully dissolved by then
2: the f*** is the mountain dew then exactly that's what i'm saying man if that stuff can dissolve a rat oh my god
0: well they do use coca-cola to dissolve the stuff on like battery terminals and shit
2: imagine that we're drinking that stuff man oh clean my insides So in August of 2012, Ronald actually settled the lawsuit out of court with Pepsi for an undisclosed amount. And you would think that would be the end of these rat and soda debacles, but nope, they just keep on going. So in 2016, John Graves of Katy, Texas gave his three-year-old grandson, Caden, a Dr. Pepper to drink. After only drinking half of it, the family pointed out, hey, there's something strange floating in that drink that Caden's drinking.
0: 24 flavors. All right, moving on. Oh my God. After looking closer at it, they noticed a small mouse-sized animal, about three inches long, with small ears and beady eyes, floating inside the drink. They immediately took Caden to his pediatrician and had blood and urine samples taken, and the state of Texas and the CDC were both contacted. The family then notified Dr. Pepper, who then dispatched a courier to the family's location to collect the rat or mouse and the Dr. Pepper bottle for them to perform independent third-party testing. However, the family refused to allow them to pick it up.
2: Which is very similar to what Pepsi did. Yeah. I mean, after what Pepsi did, I wouldn't let them come pick it up. No, me neither. And uh, after that, the story just kind of disappeared. I looked high and low to find out what happened to the family and what happened to the Dr. Pepper or the kid. Nothing. It just, it vanished. Every article you look up occurred in March about the initial reporting of it. And since then, there's been no updates. No, you know what that means. Yeah, they got bought off.
0: They got bought off, for sure.
2: Yeah. So like I said, as I was searching for this update for this family, I ended up finding a new story that popped up only a month ago. So get this. On December 21st, 2021, A woman named Linda Huntemeyer filed a lawsuit against Keurig claiming that on Christmas Eve of 2019 that she found a baby rat in a bottle of their water. Keurig has bottled water? They have a lot of stuff. I started looking into them. They have like those little pods, but they're for soda. They have soda ones now, not just coffee pods. Oh. They got different brands of plastic bottled water. Which, that's a billion-dollar industry that we learned about when we did the uh, Nestle episode, right? So, they're trying to dip their feet into that market. Yeah, we
0: didn't read anything about them in the thing, unless we did, and we just don't know that Keurig owns it. Anyway, moving on. Now, this lawsuit doesn't specify the brand of water, just that it's from Keurig. And they sell multiple different lines, like Aaron was saying. The lawsuit just states that defendants, a.k.a. Keurig, manufactured designed and sold to the general public a defective water bottle which contained a baby rat in the bottle causing the water bottle to be contaminated with dangerous diseases and that the plaintiff aka linda drank from the said bottle unknowing it was contaminated with a dead baby rat was the bottle not clear
2: well i don't know man maybe she just wasn't paying attention she was just really thirsty i'm just gonna stop drinking all liquids okay, i'm just gonna go outside and just absorb the sun maybe i'll live i'm gonna go do that butthole suntanning have you seen that Oh,
0: yeah, you do some like yoga position, face your butthole towards the sun, get that vitamin D.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> what it is. <laughs> so weird. If you haven't looked that up, look it up. Butthole sun tanning. Really interesting stuff.
0: Oh. Now, the suit also states that Linda suffered personal injuries and extreme emotional distress. The complaint does not specify an amount of damages being sought, though. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that one plays out because, like I was saying, Aren't those bottled waters usually clear? I know there's, like, Perrier or Perre, or whatever, however they say it. I don't know. It's like a green bottle. Pierre? Pierre, Perre, Perrier. I don't know. But then they got the, was it a carton of water? Like the box water?
2: Oh, yeah. See, I just go with, like, typical water. Actually, I don't go with just typical water. I go with the pH plus, which I ran out of those today. Yeah, I just ran out of mine. I just got the one water that's natural spring water from Maine. Poland Springs. Yeah, it's probably Nestle. I think it is. Oh, good God. But it's
0: from Maine, though. But it is good. I actually do like that brand. It's just expensive down here because it's
2: not from Maine. Poland Spring Bottle & Company, parent organization, Nestle. Oh, my God. Nestle owns so many. Going against what I believe in. Ugh. Now, I do have a story about a rat or something that I found in a soda where I used to work at, but I'm going to save that till the end during our own personal stories. Um, so let's get into our last scandal that we're going to talk about, which is about a finger that was found in the fast food chain, Wendy's Chili. So have you heard of this story, Dan? Yes and no. What do you mean, yes and no? I don't remember it being a finger. It was something else. What do you think it was, a penis? Yes. Oh my no, God! No, Aaron! Jesus Christ! Well, I didn't know. What? I mean, what else is shaped like a finger? A penis. I want st- to.
0: <laughs> I want to say it was like a appendage of an animal.
2: Oh, all right. So you have and have not heard of the story? No, I have. You've haven't. heard of it that they found something in Wendy's chili, but you weren't sure what it was. Yeah. Okay. All right. We'll start us off with the story.
0: All right. Now this all starts off on the evening of March twenty second, two thousand five. A 39-year-old woman named Anna Ayala was eating at a Wendy's fast food restaurant in San Jose, California. While Anna was enjoying her chili, she bit into something hard. She spit out her
2: food and was in shock. Anna picked up what appeared to be a severed human finger and brought it up to the Wendy's counter to show the employees. (laughs) I wish I could make this up, but I'm not. Uh, The employees began poking the finger with a spoon and stated that it was likely a hard vegetable. However, they quickly noticed that the finger, or what they thought was a vegetable, had a fingernail on it, and that indeed it was a severed finger.
0: The police were called and the Santa Clara County Health Department started an investigation. The following day, Santa Clara County Health officials confirmed that the object was found in the bowl of Wendy's chili was indeed a human finger. It was about, One and a half inches long and containing part of a manicured
2: nail. Investigators for the state quickly ruled out the possibility that it belonged to any of the employees there at the Wendy's located in San Jose. They were like, hey, everybody show us your fingers. Okay, you're all good. They were also unable to trace its original owner via fingerprints or DNA matching. They had nobody in their database that matched that. Um, Of course, around this time, The cells at the Wendy's located in San Jose and the other Wendy's kind of like in, I think it was like on a 50-mile radius, started to drop significantly. So Wendy's offered a $50,000 reward for information on the origin of the finger.
0: Anna ended up acquiring an attorney and seeking to sue Wendy's for personal damage of biting a severed finger. Now, around this same time, investigators noticed that Anna had previous history with false claims against fast food chains. Shortly after that, Anna announced that she would not pursue legal action against Wendy's because they caused her great emotional distress and it continued to be
2: difficult emotionally. Shouldn't that be even be more of a reason for her to pursue legal action? You figure it would. No, not know. The investigation took an even weirder
0: turn when a 59-year-old woman from a town about 60 miles west Came forward and told state investigators, uh, I think that fingertip is mine.
2: So one month before the Wendy's incident, this woman who went in front of the investigators, the 59-year-old woman, was named Sandy. She had lost a fingertip when she was attacked by a leopard. The fingertip could not be reattached, and she last saw her fingertip packed on ice in a Las Vegas emergency room. And then suddenly, it vanished. Neither she nor the hospital knew what happened to her finger. Now because of this, Sandy thought that maybe the finger was hers and that she could submit a DNA test to identify whether that was her lost finger or not. However, investigators quickly noticed that the fingertip that Sandy had lost was only about half as long as the one that Anna found in her Wendy's chili. So after that, Wendy's was like, shit, uh, we need to hurry up and find this finger. So we're going to increase our reward for information on this case to $100,000. Dang, I'd be cutting off my finger running up the day.
0: <laughs> the investigators started running tests on the finger and determined that Wendy's chili was cooked at 170 degrees for three hours. That the finger was found was inconsistent with that, and it was clearly placed into the chili after it was cooked. So they started questioning everyone close to Anna.
2: This is the best part. Now get this. Eventually, it was found out that Anna's husband had recently paid, now, and this story kind of fluctuates here paid $50. Some say he paid $100. And some say that this guy owed him $50 between one of those three. But what they know for sure. Is that a coworker of his had recently lost his finger in an on-the-job accident? So Anna's husband was like, "Hey, give me your severed finger." His coworker was like, oh, "Okay, all right." So he either paid fifty bucks for the severed finger, a hundred bucks for it, or the coworker owed him money, so he gave him a severed finger. So after this, like, news of all this started hitting the waves, the uh, coworker who had the missing finger started to get nervous. He was like. They're looking for my finger. Obviously, I'm missing one, and it's easy to tell. You know, what do I do? So Anna and her husband offered his co-worker, hey, we'll give you 250000 to keep our plan a secret and keep your mouth shut. However, that didn't happen, and both Anna and her husband were arrested.
0: In September 2005, they both pleaded guilty to conspiring to file a false claim and attempted grand theft. In January 2006, Anna was sentenced to nine years in prison and her husband to 12. However, Anna was later resentenced to only four years in prison after a successful appeal based
2: on a technical sentencing error. Which, I do have to say, why does her husband get 12 years and she gets nine? Shouldn't it be equal? They both had equal parts in this. He was the mastermind. Eh, she had previously done this before. So, give, give them both the same sentencing. You know, they both committed the crime
0: i see. they'd probably just think of her as a co-conspirator, as him as the main. Yeah, probably right. So, she had no problem biting a damn finger, a severed finger?
2: I don't even think she really bit it, to be completely honest. I don't think she bit it. I think she said she bit it. She stuck the finger in her pocket then dumped it in her chili and then pulled it out of her chili as if like, hey, it was in my chili and I bit it and then brought it up to the counter and said, hey, look what I bit. It's a finger.
0: I don't know about you, but when I eat food, I look at what I eat. And even if it's chili, when you lift up, the spoons in Wendy's are not that big.
2: Well, here's the thing. From the get-go, it was all fake. Yeah. So she knew. But however, if there was a real finger in the Wendy's chili, no way in hell I'd be taking a friggin' inch-and-a-half finger into my mouth.
0: Yeah, you would have noticed it before it even got to your mouth.
2: Exactly. So this last story was kind of like not really a, a food scandal. It was just, well, I guess you could say a food scandal that was debunked.
0: That one right there would be a frivolous lawsuit, you could say. Oh, yeah. That works with the Patreon episode.
2: Oh, it does. Absolutely. So, yeah, that is all of our stories regarding food scandals. But we do have some of our own, which, Dan, have you ever gotten food poisoning from eating at a fast food restaurant? Have you ever found a rat? Any of that stuff inside your food?
0: I had gotten severe food poisoning from a Mexican restaurant
2: in Wisconsin. Were you working an outage there?
0: Yes, I was. It was me and your brother had just finished an outage, and we were going to drive all the way back to Texas the next day. So we decided to go get Mexican food that night. The next morning, I woke up super early, felt really, really bad. I had food poisoning the whole drive to Texas. I cannot count how many times on my hand that we had to stop for me. It was the most miserable road trip I've ever had. Damn. Yeah, it was terrible. I was severely dehydrated, and then I had to fly on a plane like, what, two days later? Mm. So that was a miserable flight. Like, it was terrible.
2: That is terrible. And that's the only time you've ever gotten anything like that?
0: Uh, well, no, uh, what? Earlier this year, I had food poisoning from somewhere. Damn. Yeah, I had food poisoning where I couldn't eat
2: anything. I've gotten food poisoning probably, let's see, one, two, probably five or six times in my life, which is quite a bit. Uh, One food poisoning, I was probably a junior in high school. I was coming back from a track meet, and our bus stopped at some convenience store. I got, it was like a burrito or something from the convenience, uh, no, it wasn't, bur- it wasn't a burrito. It was um, like a corn dog or something, something super unhealthy.
0: From 7-Eleven?
2: Yeah, that had been sitting there for f***ing ever. So I eat that, I get home, I start feeling bad that night. I wake up, of course, I just start throwing up. I throw up probably from 9 o'clock that night until probably 10 o'clock that next morning. I was throwing up to where I couldn't throw up anymore, and I had to be taken to the hospital. I was severely dehydrated. They had to hook me up to uh, IVs and get me all pumped back full of fluids and all that. second time was I went to a Whataburger and got a chicken sandwich and got severe food poisoning from that. Same thing happened. ended up back in the hospital. Third time was that I cooked chicken and undercooked it and gave myself severe food poisoning. And ended up back in the hospital. And then one time I went to the One Star Casino in Oklahoma, which I hate gambling, by the way. But I, I went there as like moral support. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't, I mean, I don't drink. I, don't, I was just like drinking their free sodas and eating their free food. And I got back and I felt like shit and ended up throwing up and couldn't stop throwing up. And threw up for like 20 plus hours and ended up passing out. Because I woke up on my bathroom floor and uh, was like, I don't know what's going on. Super confused. Ended up calling 911. Was like, hey, I'm throwing up and passing out. Don't know what's going on. Passed out again. Ambulance came. Picked me up. Took me to the hospital. Stayed there for like a day. Um, I'm trying to think this last time. But it's been a while. Knock on wood. Since I've gotten food poisoning. But it all ends up the same with me. I get it. I throw up a ass load of times end up in the hospital for like a day, and then I'm out and I feel like a champion.
0: So you just reminded me, uh, the very first time I actually got it, I was maybe like eight or nine, maybe maybe seven. I actually ended up in the hospital because of that, because I uh, got food poisoning. I couldn't eat, couldn't drink. And they actually took me to the hospital, found out that I was severely dehydrated. I hooked up to the IV and everything. When you were younger, did they ever put like that board on your forearm when they put the IV in? No, uh-uh. So back then, I guess because I was a kid and you know we move around a lot, they put like a board on my arm to cover the IV so I wouldn't move or take the IV out.
2: Okay. You didn't hit him in the head with the uh, board or anything? No, they gave me a teddy bear, so. Okay. Well, that's good. I didn't get any teddy bears, but I was like over nineteen, twenty. Yeah, I was still a kid and
0: I had to use the bathroom one night and you had to ring for the nurse, even though my mom stayed in the hospital with me. I had to have the nurse with me. She was very upset that I had to use the bathroom in the middle of the night. I'm like, when you got to go. You got to go.
2: Yeah, exactly. I use the bathroom at least once a night. I wake up, go take a piss, go back to bed. Yeah. Dude, she was so upset. She's
0: just like, you couldn't hold it till morning? You got an IV hooked up to me. There's liquids going in. It has to come out.
2: Damn. What an old ass bitch. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Mean lady. Oh, I remember the fifth time it occurred to me now. I used to work security for Walmart. Let's see. What year was this? 2007 or 8, somewhere around there. Work security for Walmart, and uh, it was actually a contracted company through Walmart. It was Champion National Security. Shitty ass company, by the way. Horrible. My supervisor was absolutely horrible. Okay, let me tell you how I got this job. I found an ad on Craigslist needing security guard, paying like 11, 12 bucks an hour. At the time, I was like, yeah, 11, 12 bucks an hour. Pretty good back then. Pretty good money back then. So I ended up driving to the security company, and he was a supervisor, and he was like, hey, uh, my guy just quit. When can you start? I said, I can start whenever. He said, can you start tonight? Yeah, but I don't have any, like, security clothes. He's like, here you go. Gave me a 2XL security shirt, which at the time, I was a medium. I'm a large now, but at the time, I was a medium, so that thing was huge on me. And then he took all this security paperwork that I was supposed to fill out, like all these tests and everything. And made me sign all of them. And he signed all of them. And then he said, show up tonight, 6 o'clock, at the Walmart. Show up there, and uh, you can uh, do security from 6 to 6, 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. You work security for Walmart. I was like, okay, cool. Easy as hell job. I just sat around in a security car all day and listened to, or all night, and listened to Coast to Coast a.m. with Art Bell. So that's actually where my conspiracy mind started was right there. But one night... Uh, on my way home from work, I ended up picking up a burrito from a gas station, ate it, went into work feeling pretty bad, ended up uh, puking nonstop. I would, I would drive the security car down a, a Walmart lane, would have to pull over, puke out the door, close the door, and I was calling my supervisor saying, hey, man, I'm like puking in the middle of the parking lot of Walmart. And he was like, sorry, I don't have anybody to relieve you. You got to stay there. And I'm like, dude, I need to go to the hospital. This happens to me quite a bit. And I go to the hospital every time. If you don't let me go now, it's going to be bad. And he was like, well, don't got anybody to help you. So I'm like, you know what? F*** this. I'm out. I left.
0: I would have done the same thing.
2: Yeah. So that's my last story of food poisoning.
0: I hope you took the security car to the hospital. That would have been hilarious. No,
2: I didn't. I didn't. My mom at the time came and picked me up. I should have took the security car though. You know? You should have.
0: Made him come and get it later on. What was his name?
2: Oh, man. trying to think of my supervisor's name. He was a real douchebag. So he had like a a normal name, but he asked me to call him a certain name, like Sergeant Howard or Lieutenant Howard or some stupid-ass shit like that, and he wasn't even in the military. It's like, dude, you're a security officer. (laughs) But okay, whatever. I'll call you that. I don't give a shit. Anyways after I ended up, uh, leaving there or quitting there, uh, found out he ended up getting fired a few months after that for selling drugs out of, uh, his little security area that he was supervising. Nice. Yeah. So there there you go. That's, uh, that's my story about that. Now my story about my soda and the rat. Oh yeah. I used to work for a grocery store in a really small town in Texas and the store was owned by a Vietnam vet and, uh, they had like this giant freezer where they stored all the sodas, right? And we were restocking everything and he was like, "Hey, I want you guys to Now this guy is the same guy who threw the snake and hit me across the face. <laughs> that story. He was like, "Hey, uh, I want you to go stock and clean up that that uh, freezer back there." And I'm like, "Okay, cool." So I went back there and I started unpacking the freezer and moving things around. Shit had been sitting back there for ages, and I found this Coke with, like, this weird-ass thing growing in it. I don't know if it was a rat or if it was, like, some type of plant. It had not been opened, but it was, like, an orange color, and you could see through it, and it was something weird growing in it. I don't know what the hell it was, but the manager of the store made us throw it away, but I wanted to keep it. Glory was like, no, you got to throw it away, all right? I'm like, listen here, Glory, I mean, I'll buy it. She's like, no, you can't. It's bad for Coca-Cola. And I'm like, man, f*** Coca-Cola. I don't care what they think. I want this science experiment that's been cooking back here for 30 plus years, bitch. But she didn't let me keep it. So there you go.
0: That's because if you would have bought it, it would have actually been on their store.
2: Yeah. Probably was like a baby Coca-Cola, you know, like a cloned embryo from Coca-Cola, you know? Oh, that was meant to be sent to the queen instead. Yeah. And it got sent to us to a small town in uh, Texas.
0: That's right.
2: All right. So you got any other stories or anything you want to share? I
0: mean, I only know of one other time someone got food poisoning. That was my oldest brother. He went to a Burger King and they undercooked the uh, chicken sandwich that he got. Oh, God. He reported that, of course, they're just like, oh, here's a coupon to come back to this, you know, same Burger King. But uh, that Burger King actually shut down like a month or so later. Oh. Yeah. So obviously that probably wasn't the only complaint, unlike in uh, our Patreon episode where hundreds of complaints.
2: Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's the end of the episode today. Yeah, no theories for this one because obviously it's all there. Yep. Um, If you have an interesting story or a messed up story or you found something strange or you got like a rat in a bottle, send us an email at Aaron at Theories of the Third Kind or you can send it to Dan at Theories of the Third Kind. We'd love to hear about it. All right. So now we're going to move to our on the scene. So if you don't know what our On the Scene is, it is where listeners around the world go and interview unsuspecting civilians, their family members, whomever. They just go interview somebody and they ask them questions about current conspiracy happenings and their beliefs involving certain conspiracy topics. Now, anyone can do this. Even you. Yes, the person listening to this right now saying, me? Yeah, you can do it. Just take your phone out. Go up to somebody, start asking them questions, and hit record. And then after you're done, you can send us that audio recording to our emails, which is Aaron at TheoriesOfTheThirdKind.com, or you can send it to Dan at TheoriesOfTheThirdKind.com. Just please make sure that the audio is less than two minutes long. And uh, please make sure it's not, I mean, it doesn't have to be the best quality, but just make sure there isn't like a giant train running on in the back or anything like that. You know. A good app to use to record is the Road Reporter. Oh, Road Reporter is great. R-O-D-E reporter. Download it, it's free. Yeah, it, it works great. Yep. All right. So for this week's On the Scene, it comes from Shanna. So we're gonna play that right now.
1: Hello and welcome to On the Scene. I am your host, Shana, and today I have my guest, Charlie, who is also my son. Hey yo. Today's on the scene will be on the lost city of Atlantis. So how today's episode will go is first I will ask you your thoughts on Atlantis, then I'll ask what theories support that belief, then we'll wrap it all up with your own personal thoughts and theories. So Charlie, do you believe that Atlantis ever existed? Absolutely, I do. Okay, okay. So what theory supports your beliefs that Atlantis ever actually existed? Well, I guess when I read up on the Eye of Africa, being connected to Atlantis, that seemed really plausible to me. The formations in the sand sound like how Plato described it. So, yeah, that kind of made the most sense and sealed the deal for me. Okay, okay. I like that. So I guess that brings us to your own thoughts and theories. So, Charlie, what do you think happened to Atlantis? Well, it said they had technology, like, way beyond our time. And I think they were able to look into the future and see that the human timeline was pretty much doomed. They decided to create a time portal and just pretty much yeet themselves into another dimension to save themselves. Jesus Christ! That's deep, man. Yeah. Okay. So I guess we'll go into some free talk. How was school today? It was good. They had Bosco sticks for lunch. Noice. Okay. Well, want to roll us out? Sure will. It's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts. Because you are not alone.
2: Do, That is my favorite voicemail so far. That was good. Shana, sorry for mispronouncing your name. I didn't mean to say Shanna. I meant to say Shana. Shame on you, Aaron. I don't listen to the on the scenes. I, it was a total surprise to both of us whenever we listen to them. So, yes, there you go. I loved it. It was official. I love the answers. I love the format. I love the layout. Your voice is on point. Audio recording was great. And, uh, you know, you even threw some humor inside there, yeeting stuff. You know, and I like the outro. Jesus Jesus Christ. Christ. Nice. I give you an A+. A+. You're hired as our third. Boom. There you go. I like it. But seriously, thank you. And, uh, hey, whenever you want to submit another one, we would gladly take it. And you know what? If you want to make it a little longer, by all means, go ahead. Do it. Go ahead. Just don't go crazy with it. Don't submit something that's like 20, 10, 20 minutes. Don't don't do that. Less work for us. Yeah. (laughs) But seriously, thank you for the on the scene. I loved it.
0: It was great. That actually was really good. Made us laugh.
2: Props to Charlie, too, and his theories. People getting yeeted out of the sky or yeeted out of the planet or yeeted out of the dimension.
0: Yeah. Time traveling. Yeet, yeet.
2: Gone. All right. Um... So that takes us to shout outs, which we're going to move shout outs to next week's episode. I do have one shout out just because of the timing, though. OK. All right. Never mind. We're not going to move them. We're just going to we're going to move all of them except one. All right. What's this one you have? Nancy
0: B. Her birthday is actually on the 13th of this month and she turns 21.
2: Nancy B. Hey, congratulations. And uh, don't party too hard. Happy birthday. Uh, to you. Hey, seriously though, happy birthday. Please be safe on your 21st birthday. I hope it's amazing and watch out for the crazy reptilian people out there.
0: Yeah, stay safe out there.
2: All right. So that's the only shout out we got for this week. Um, Don't worry,
0: Kaiser Sose, I got you.
2: I guess that's the end of our episode. You got anything else you want to add or anything?
0: Uh, Watch what you eat. Not saying be healthy. Actually look at the food you're eating or drinking. Yeah. I know you can't see uh, E. coli and, like,
2: salmonella, but... Make smart choices when it comes to eating.
0: With the vegetables, make sure you wash your vegetables, man. Grow
2: your own food, man. Go in your backyard. I grow bok choy outside. It's just delicious. Damn, I don't even know what that is. It sounds good, though. So, green leafy, like, collard greens. Oh. Romaine lettuce kind of thing. Okay, cool. All right, well, with that being said, uh, I want to thank you all for joining us today, and again... Thank you for your support. You are all amazing, every single one of you. So with that being said, Dan, do you want to roll us out? Sure will. It's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts. Because you are not alone.